Uh, we have some people working on our normal studio lines in case you're like, hey, you guys sound a little different today. Uh, these are our backup lines. But still, we are broadcasting live and glad you can be with us. Also glad to have with us somebody who's been on the program and hasn't been on in a while, someone I know personally and does a great job professionally. Her name is Adina Lekovich. She's Muslim Public Affairs Council MPAC's Public Affairs Consultant. Previously, she was Director of Policy and Programming there. She oversaw strategic initiatives in government and policy, media and communications, and leadership development. She also served as MPAC's Communications Director. You've seen her regularly at major media outlets, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, CBS Television, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, AP, Chicago Tribune, and L.A. Times. That would be places you've heard her comments or her, her being quoted. Uh, obviously, the TV where she's been seen. More than a pleasure to have back Adina Lekovich. Adina, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you back. For people that haven't seen you on TV or people that don't have a position to Google you right now or aren't spelling your last mm-hmm. name, right. <laughs> um, you are very uh, Aryan-looking. Is that a fair to say? <laughs> Yes, that's true. My family's from the former Yugoslavia, and right. uh, and I moved to the states when I was about a year and a half old. So yeah, so I have fair skin, blue eyes, and my family has been Muslim for generations. And uh, I haven't seen your hair because you cover it. Uh, do you have light hair as well because you have fair skin and light eyes? <laughs> no, no, the dark eyebrows give me away. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Adina, you also, you cover your head. Uh, women call it a hijab. You don't really wear a hijab, though. You wear a different, last time I saw you, kind of head covering than my mm-hmm. mother-in-law, for example. Is that correct? And can you tell us about that? Yeah, you might describe the style of my headscarf as being a head wrap. Um, and it's one of many different versions of hijab or just uh, covering that Muslim women around the world do. And it's also really important to remember that more, uh, just as many Muslim women don't cover their hair or show their hair as uh, those who do cover their hair. And then there's a, a lot of diversity, again, about um, interpretations around uh, hijab and how much should be covered or shouldn't be covered. But ultimately, the bottom line is that hijab is about, uh, is, it's a symbol of modesty, and it's about uh, publicizing your intellect and privatizing your sexuality so that a woman can be taken for her mind rather than for her body. Those are the, the foundational values behind um, even the concept of why a woman would cover her hair. Now, that's certainly not practiced in that way in every corner of the world, um, but that is, uh, that's by and large the um, the. The, the, the understanding behind it, and it's also every single woman's uh, own choice to decide whether she, um, how, however she dresses. Uh, and I want to point out, like when, you know, if somebody were to see you, they may not know you're Muslim by your, um, the, the, the red wrap, because there are women that are pretty bohemian that wear that, there are Orthodox Jews that wear mm-hmm. that. Even the Amish wear like a little bonnet, and I want to point out, if anybody looks yeah. at the statue of the Virgin Mary, she's technically wearing a hijab, and so do Catholic nuns. Yeah, that's but right. A, a, enough yeah, about that's that. right. I, I live here in Los Angeles. Yeah, here in Los Angeles, I, I, and especially with a name like Adina, I get uh, confused for an Orthodox Jewish woman pretty regularly, which I also take as a compliment. Again, same, same values and ideals. Yeah, at Lekovich also, right? Um, let, let's mm-hmm. talk about, you are an American Muslim. Like you said, you've been in the United States since you were a year and a half. And the reason that I have you on was not to talk about clothing and fashion, uh, but the reason that I have you <laughs> on is um, there is an open letter from American Muslim leaders to President-elect uh, Donald Trump, which you signed 
Um, over 400 American Muslim leaders signed. Um, I really wish you could get every Muslim to sign it, and then there are people out there that want to, quote, sign up to be Muslim, like the head of the ADL, if they were a registry. Um, but can mm-hmm. I start um, by, uh, I want to read this letter and then talk about it. Is that okay to do? Would that be all right with you, Adina? Yes, please. Okay. Dear President-elect Trump, Oh, we have a minute to heartbreak, I'm told. So before I read it, why did you and other American Muslim leaders decide to write this, this and, why, and why did you decide to, to obviously sign it? Well, I'll keep it brief, but the basic idea is that, you know, for the vast majority of this campaign season, American Muslims have been talked about, but rarely talked to. And in this transition period uh, with the Trump administration taking form, it is some leaders to um, introduce themselves to the president-elect and make clear okay, that I'm sorry, but they, they gave me wrong time. We got to break right now. Hold on, we're going to have you say that in a moment. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Adina Lekovich is Muslim Public Affairs Council and Tax Public Affairs Consultant. Now, before the break, Adina, I talked about American Muslim leaders, over 400 of them, including yourself, wrote and signed an open letter from the American Muslim leaders to the president-elect Donald Trump. First of all, why was this letter written? You started to say we had to go to break. Uh, Please uh, say that Mm -hmm. again, and I will read it, and we will discuss Sure. The motivation behind the letter was the fact that over 18 months of this campaign season, American Muslims were talked about relentlessly, but rarely, if ever, actually spoken to. And this was a, is the first public communication on behalf of diverse uh, community leaders who um, serve big communities and small ones in worship spaces, academic institutions, advocacy organizations, civic life, entrepreneurship, coming together to say, this is who we are, this is what our values are, um, their contributions are to our country, and these are what our concerns are based on what the, uh, the words and the actions that, um, that you have taken so far, President-elect Trump. And we want to preserve democracy, we want to preserve the rights of all Americans, and we are um, committed to doing just that uh, for the benefit of all Americans and to work with um, the president to um, uh, uh, make his future better than his past when it comes to, um, when it comes to uh, engagement with Muslims and um, policy directions uh, related to Muslims. Here's the letter. Dear President-elect Trump, As American Muslims committed to the values of our faith and the principles that underpin our country's democracy, we write to express serious concerns about policies proposed during your campaign, as well as announcements regarding appointments to your upcoming administration. Muslims have been an integral part of the United States since its founding when the first slave ships arrived on its shores. Today, millions of of American Muslims are among the country's most diverse faith groups, representing 77 countries with African Americans, South Asians, and Arab Americans making up three-quarters of our community. Muslims have served and paid the ultimate sacrifice in every war since the American Revolution, with more than 3,939 Muslims serving honorably currently in the armed forces today and many more in law enforcement. In fact, Americans who are Muslim contribute positively to every aspect of our society. Representative examples include U.S. Congressman Keith Ellison and Andre Carson, U.S. Olympian medalist Ibitihaj Mohammed and Dalia Mohammed, Fazla Rahman Khan, an engineer who designed the world's tallest skyscrapers in Chicago, Ahmed Zawail, Nobel laureate in chemistry, and Shahid Khan, owner of the NFL's Jacksonville Jaguars. 
We serve our nation as teachers, business owners, factory workers, cab drivers, doctors, lawyers, law enforcement, and firefighters. The values we hold align with those of the overwhelming majority of Americans. According to a recent study by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, ISPU, Muslims are as likely as Protestants who have a strong American identity. American Muslims who view their faith as important are more likely to say being American is central to their identity, and those who regularly attend mosques are more likely to be civically engaged. Like other Americans, we love our country and are committed to preserving religious freedom, equal opportunity, and equal protection under the law for all. As our president-elect, one of your duties is to ensure our collective safety and security. This includes protecting the First Amendment rights of all Americans to freely practice their faith without fear, intimidation, or reprisal. This is a particularly critical duty now as the FBI recently reported a 67% increase in anti-Muslim hate crimes in 2015. During and immediately following this year's presidential election, American Muslim organizations received more reports of anti-Muslim hate crimes than any other period of time since 9-11. Your recent denunciation of such behavior on 60 Minutes was a positive first step, and we urge you to clearly and strongly condemn bigotry, hate crimes, and bias-based school bullying directed at any American, including American Muslims. We call on you to make mutual respect and acceptance a hallmark of your presidency. Furthermore, along with many other Americans, we are deeply troubled by reports that your team is actively considering proposals that would target Muslims based on religion and violate their constitutional rights. Advisors and members of your transition team have proposed a registry of Muslim immigrants and visitors to this country. Shockingly, an advisor cited the internment of more than 110,000 Japanese Americans during World War II, one of the most shameful moments in our nation's history, as precedent for targeting Muslims. We call on you to appoint individuals who have a demonstrated commitment to serving and defending the constitutional rights of all Americans. It is deeply concerning that you have announced the appointment of individuals to your upcoming administration with a well-documented history of outright bigotry directed at Muslims are advocating that Muslims should not have the same rights as their fellow Americans. We urge you to consider and reject such candidates. Just as with previous administrations, we will continue to engage all levels of our government to make America great. As engaged citizens, we're all, we also pledge to holding you and all elected account officials accountable for upholding our Constitution and the equal protections it guarantees. We will raise our voices together with all Americans who share our concerns to protect these values. We wish you success in upholding our country's founding principles and for a future of progress for all Americans. Very well written, very well said. I agree 100%. I'm not a Muslim leader to sign this, um, nor am I uh, a Muslim. Um, Adina, let me ask you, um, first of all, was there any response from the president or anybody on his uh, leadership team? Mm -hmm. We no. need to receive a response from the team. We have shared the letter through um, contacts uh, that we have in the Republican Party, um, but have not, you know, uh, we have yet to hand deliver it to, uh, to Trump Tower. Uh, but that might be a next uh, a next natural step. Okay, uh, I mentioned that you cover your head, um, even though you're Aryan looking, even though you know you have your name. You are a Muslim, and you know about the increase in hate crimes against those in the Muslim community. As a as a woman, um, are you fearful, more fearful, being in America today, and fearful of Trump's America in the next four years as a Muslim American? I'm certainly concerned as a Muslim woman, um, and yet I also recognize, uh, yeah, that I that I am a white European woman, and that I don't wear a quote unquote traditional hijab. So um, I, it's it's easier for me to pass, let's say, 
than, you know, a, um, a recent, a more recent immigrant, uh, from Bangladesh or from, uh, you know, from any other place, um, who might have an accent, who might wear a more traditional headscarf, um, who might have darker skin and for a host of reasons might feel a great deal more vulnerable. And we've seen, unfortunately, far too many cases of, um, hate incidents, um, involving Muslim women who wear headscarves where their scarves are either, either, uh, pulled on or pulled off. Um, they're either physically assaulted or verbally harassed um, or a whole host of things, including an off-duty New York uh, Police Department officer um, just uh, about a week and a half ago who was uh, assaulted in the subway in New York. So it's, um, you know, certainly being physical, uh, visibly publicly Muslim um, has uh, carries a lot less um, uh, confidence and a lot more insecurity um, than it has in the past because of the the this this really alarming um, uh, spike in hate crimes and hate incidents that we've seen, um, especially since the election. We have a uh, poll out today that 48% of Americans approve of the way Trump's handling things um, has transitioned. 48% do not. Dead, dead heat, almost 50-50 there, 48 to 48. We know that the majority of Americans who voted voted for Hillary Clinton did not vote for Trump. And in talking to some people who voted for Trump, but I certainly not going to use this as a, a, you know research, but I think it's fair to say not everyone voted for Trump. Um, over uh, his rhetoric about Muslims or building a wall. In other words, some mm-hmm. people voted for him because of party. Some people voted for him because he's a he. Some people voted for him because of celebrity and they like him. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, uh, you know, who is, was, was raised, raised in a uh, my brother-in-law, who is arguably a Muslim, he was raised a Muslim and doesn't claim to be anything else, is a, quote, Muslim who voted for Trump. Um, and I, and then mm-hmm. some people voted for him based on uh, the economy and business and what they thought he would do to their uh, paychecks. And we, we know not every a person who voted for Trump um, has anti-Muslim or, um, you know, uh, anti-white Christian uh, sentiment. However, there are those that do. I want to bring mm-hmm. up three quick things. You mentioned the off-duty police officer. Actually, I think you kind of mushed two stories together, and that's okay because there's so many, unfortunately, that happens. The off-duty police officer, NYPD, decorated police officer. A uh, highly decorated NYPD off-duty police officer, a female who wears a hijab with her um, NYPD hat and uniform, was off-duty picking up her son, and um, she was being negatively taunted. There was a young woman on a New York subway that was full, where three men who were um, spouting some of the Trump rhetoric, they made it clear they were Trump supporters, ripped off her hijab. And I want to point out that with the NYPD officer, a decorated officer, Nobody at the school said anything or did anything. On a way, New York, both. Nobody said anything or did anything. And I think it was Florida in a doctor's office. A woman is sitting in a busy doctor's office in the waiting area. A man sat next to her, pulls a knife out, shows everybody the knife, and puts it next to her, sits there, and, and, you know, looks at her. And nobody in the doctor's office waiting room, staff, even doctors, did a thing. The reason mm-hmm. I bring this up, as you know, because you know me, I'm half Jewish, half Christian, married to a Muslim. I have family that died in the Holocaust. And I remember stories of my family members who told stories for those that did, uh, you know, listen to get out and, and, and lived. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm and many other people are here. Um, you know, he heeded uh, the warnings. But there were those that said, 
Um, well, I'll get to that in a second. My, my problem is when I look back at the Holocaust, it's not just the Hitler. It's not just the Nazis. And I, I know people that say, oh, liken it to Holocaust. Well, then let's, let's go to Japanese internment. Um, it, mm-hmm. To me, it's not just the government officials or even law enforcement. It's the people who didn't stop their government and law enforcement. And I want mm-hmm. you to respond to that. Because in 2016, for a woman on a subway and not one person to say that is mm-hmm. wrong, and I was raised to do that, and my children were. Now, I know we're afraid. We're all afraid. We're afraid to get hurt. We're afraid to die. We're afraid to stand up. We're afraid to stand out. We're afraid to be heard or seen or spoken. We're afraid to be first. Whatever our fears are, you know, most of us believe that we have to answer to a God someday. Most of us believe mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I, I, I just don't know. And, and to me, the, the, the cowardness of our nation is is very apparent in this. So people can have on Facebook, I am a Muslim when they're not. Uh, the head of the ADL can say I'm going to register it as a Muslim. But if, if people register as a Muslim or stand with Muslims or like that nice guy in Alabama, stand outside of a mosque with a sign that says, you belong here, you're welcome, unless somebody stands up and says, don't touch that woman's head, mm-hmm. or stands mm-hmm. up and stands in front of her and says, you want to get to her, you've got to get through me. I want to see some of these mm-hmm. real men out there that claim to be real men, you know, all these people with their guns. and what, you know, Unless we see that, I, I fear we could see a, a, a terrible repeat of history, both in and outside of our nation. Absolutely. And what you just described is um, another version of the story that uh, actor and activist George Takei just told at uh, the Muslim Public Affairs Council annual convention on Sunday night where he was the speaker and he shared how um, his memories of uh, being a child in the, in the internment camps and how before Japanese-Americans were interned, that was preceded by rhetoric. It was preceded by rhetoric from individuals and, and politicians, elected officials, who um, began to say things like, you know, the thing about the Japanese is they might look and look and feel like they're safe and kind and friendly, but they're so inscrutable that you never know what they're thinking, and so they really might pose a threat, and so we should be, we should be proactive. And that was the beginning of the slippery slope of rhetoric that began to normalize the idea that we should not that we should not trust our Japanese-American neighbors. And so you don't start, you know, as you mentioned, the Holocaust example, or the same with Japanese internment or any kind of isolation of a particular group. You don't go from, you know, we love these people, they're our neighbors, to um, let's put them in internment camps. Instead, there is a slippery slope of, uh, of rhetoric, of, of public comments, um, that start to make it more and more acceptable um, to, to talk that way and make it less and less acceptable for others to challenge those ideas. So what you described in terms of um, bystanders uh, turning, the, you know, turning a blind eye to incidents of violence or harassment or discrimination, um, that I think is where each of us can take some more responsibility because you know, we teach this to our children when they see bullying in schools. We teach them not to be bystanders but to be upstanders. Um, more right. and more, that, that's what's being taught you know, on campuses, and that's exactly what the rest of us in society need to do is that an attack on any of us is an attack on all of us. And what is what American Muslims are facing today, and the concerns uh, that we have, um, we're not alone. These are the, these 
these challenges uh, many many vulnerable communities are feeling at the same time, and and that's where um, we have to stand for one another in order to stand for America. We our destiny as Americans is mutually intertwined, and uh, no matter what our religion is, no matter what our race is, no matter what our economic situation is, no matter if we're in a red state or a blue state, we are all in it together. Um, and that's, uh, you know, the, the, the political rhetoric can, can cause us to think otherwise. And I want to raise one thing about political rhetoric in terms of its real impact. There was a study that was done by Cal State San Bernardino's Center for the Study of Hate uh, this year. And they compared the difference between um, uh, President George W. Bush's comments at an American mosque a few weeks after the, the horrific 9-11 terror attacks in which he condemned terrorism, but also made clear that is that uh, Muslims oppose terrorism and that the, and that Islam is a peaceful religion. In the weeks that followed his comments, hate crimes and hate incidents went down dramatically. Then the, point the, the, the researchers, when, when President-elect the Trump says, "Stop it on 60 Minutes," that's clearly not enough. It's not enough, and especially when, you know, a year ago, he uh, he first called for the outright ban on Muslim immigrants, and we saw immediately after that, in the weeks that followed, that hate crimes and hate incidents went up. There is a documented relationship between political rhetoric and what happens on the streets and in small towns and big towns all across America. So it is critical that our commander-in-chief set the tone of us being an inclusive um, America that has room for everyone, um, not casting suspicion on any one group or turning a blind eye um, to uh, attacks or suspicions that are put on um, put on any Americans. And, and also, just one last thing, and then I know we have to let you go, and I know we're running late here, guys, but this is important. Um, one of the things that we saw from the terrorists in Belgium and uh, in, in, in it, that went from there to Paris and, and, ju- and you know, th- those groups is they felt disenfranchised. And for people that say, assimilate, assimilate, but if you say, you know, I want you to be one of us, but, hey, register, I'm going to ban your relatives from coming here, your cousin from going to school here, and demonize you with the rhetoric, I think that's going to create more disenfranchisement, and I fear that will create um, an easier pool of those to radicalize for ISIS to choose from. It's certainly possible. I mean, when people are disenfranchised and they feel that they're being ignored, that doesn't lead to good outcomes. Um, no, and the reality is that that who American Muslims are, you know, as as ha, uh, has is, is that we are model Americans. We have the low, you know, among the lowest crime rates, the highest educational attainment, highest levels of entrepreneurship, and there is a there is a um, a, a, a really um, terrible misunderstanding about who we are as a faith. And the most important thing that your listeners can do is, if you don't know a Muslim firsthand. Find an opportunity to meet a Muslim. Most mosques across this country are open every single day to visitors um, near and far, and there is um, nothing like direct interaction to break down barriers, increase understanding, and, and, and figure out how we can work together. And one last thing, like I say always to the Muslims that ask me, what can we do, Leslie? One... Invite people outside the mosque to things because some people aren't comfortable mm-hmm. going to a mosque, too. Become involved. Run for office. Be on your PTA board. And three, procreate like crazy. When you have a larger percentage of the population, you have political and economic power. Adina, thank you for joining me. Adina Lekovich, Muslim, Muslim Public Affairs Council's Public Affairs Consultant Impact. Twitter, at 
Okay, the website for MPAC is, uh, for that Muslim letter is MuslimLetterOfTrump.com and go to MPAC.org to read more about this organization and uh, Adina as well.